This podcast is sponsored by Uncana, trusted natural solutions. Uncana is a leading voice of advocacy for CBD in the veteran LEO and federal communities. Veteran owned and operated, the Uncana team is actively fighting for DOD access to CBD with political pressure, community support, and a simple message. Hashtag OpNatural. Uncana is vertically integrated with industry leaders from seed to sell, supplying premium small batch products to America's best. Use code MENTORS4MIL the number four, M-I-L, at checkout at uncana.com to receive your amazing discount. Read the Mentors for Military disclaimer at mentorsformilitary.com slash disclaimer. Thanks again to everyone supporting us on the podcast through Patreon. Patreon allows our listeners an opportunity to contribute to the podcast and allow us to bring you great guests and content each week. Thank you to all of our patrons and a special shout out to Jonathan Lambert for being our largest donor. You too can become a patron by visiting patreon.com slash mentors, the number four M-I-L. This is the Mentors for Military podcast. I think I actually saw you, of course, you know, saw you at meeting along with about 100 other dudes in the best ranger competition in, in 2016 when I was there. And um, because it was that year where it, the two guys, National Guard, Green Berets, won the best ranger. And my buddy and I were talking about that as we walked away and went like, wow, that's that's like big deal. And so that was how I knew your name and knew about you and everything from was from that point, to be honest. Yeah, no, it was an exciting moment for us. Uh, definitely a big point in history, not just for the guard, but as you said, the last Green Beret before Mito in it was uh, Colonel Collins. I don't know if you guys know him, Liam Collins. He's pretty mm-hmm. well known throughout the CAG guy. He um, works up at the, we just retired actually out of West Point. He was doing a lot of uh, coaching and mentorship up there after doing his time um, with, uh, with Kagan. I think he was doing some stuff with Ukraine, but uh, he was actually the last Green Beret to win it in 2007. And uh, I, yeah, it took us <laughs> till 2016, um, nine years for another Green Beret. And if my history serves me correct, there's only three Green Berets in the history of the competition who have been able to win the title. So I don't know why more guys don't go out. Um, I think the training and the actual competition is just top notch. You're literally doing every single deployment task, pretty much ass of a ranger. And for the most part of special operations guys, of course, we have nine tor- core tasks. So a lot broader of a spectrum than just, you know, DA specific, more like ranger battalion. But, um, yeah, I think it's just the best way to train. I mean, you literally go out there and do everything that you would be asked to do, but in three days, eating MREs, no performance, you know, food out there, like on the uh, Spartan Race um, pro team spectrum field or side of the house. But uh, yeah, I'm just, I mean, that was pretty much my one of my career highlights. And it took us a long ass time to get there. There were some guard haters out there and maybe some green gray haters, but, uh, <laughs> Hey man, we're, we're resilient. And we just kept coming back until we won. I mean, that was the goal. Like just keep coming back until, you know, we're, we were the best of the best. Unfortunately, now they have a cap on it. 
They put a three competition in the history of your military career, which sucks. And, and I get it that they're they're trying to limit it. There's a lot of people trying to compete. I get it that a lot of people spend a lot of full time away from the unit training and all that. But I mean, th- this this is a healthy. It's also it's not just a healthy thing for there are you know soldiers and well I could say anybody who is ranger qualified to actually want to attend this thing uh, for there to be some level of competition even if there's a pre level to distinguish it down to a, a reasonable number of individuals you know or something of that nature as a as a single gate but this is so important uh, for recognition outside of the community I mean there's so many people that know about best ranger competition. And so it's a great oh, it's marketing. Huge. Yeah, it's, it's a great marketing tool. Used to be on Fox, uh, ESPN, and um, I actually got reached out this year by the uh, producer. I said, so I, the guy you know who does a lot of the video stuff, um, he's out in California, and they want me to do some commentating this year. So oh, I'm all about oh, it. Nice. I think that that would add you know to a different aspect of having someone who's competed and won it to, to provide you know like because a lot of people that's that's the disconnect is. If you don't have someone right right there able to talk the talk and translate it to the civilian side, then you lose that popularity because a lot of people don't understand exactly what we're doing, um, why it's important, how it relates to either combat or our units. But like you said, I mean, um, we even had it regulated by Star Major Daily where we were only allowed to train for 60 days um, before the competition. So they, they did put a regulation before they put the three uh, time or three times that you're able to compete cap on the event. But uh, like I said, I mean, training's training. What are we going to be doing if we're not? I mean, training for the best ranger competition is actually more in-depth, in my opinion. A lot of times, especially in the Guard, that's more training that we're going to do all year. And for some conventional units, that's more training in those three months doing all the tasks that we're required to be proficient at than a lot of units are able to do. So you become more proficient, and you actually go back to your unit, you know, 100% across the board and able to be a train-the-trainer. And actually, you know, be, in my opinion, a more effective leader because you're able to, you know, give those skills and those tasks that you learn to mentor your soldiers and, and those, you know, under you. Or you're already qualified. So when those guys are out doing training, you can be a mentor or be, you know, RSO or do, you know, something in the role to support those guys. Yeah. So Scott's sitting over in Wells and there's many people that's going to be listening to this thing that are civilians or that are not in the army and may not be familiar with best ranger competition. So take us through that because I can tell you that for the people that I usually bring to, uh, to best ranger competition for them to watch it, I usually come there on Saturday because I know that the individuals who've made it to that point are going to be pretty much your final teams. And those that are in, I would say the top six, you pretty much set the bar so high that somebody seven or further down, at least from the ones that I've attended, you usually don't have a chance. So take us through how grueling this whole thing is. Yeah. So the best runner competition, essentially, you know, a 72 hour event nonstop, you have 20 to 25 events or what they're called. And each one has a different weight. So let's say, you know, a road march might not, or would have a higher weight then let's say, you know, just putting a weapon together blindfolded or under nods um, to, you know, standards to be able to do a functions check. Um, all the other events, I mean, we have obstacle course, uh, military specific. We've actually had a Spartan race within the competition. A I remember years, that. Which was, yeah. which was grueling. Like yeah. people out Started there who've off, done right? OCR, yeah, they're <laughs> just like, man, that's just one event. And I'm like, yeah, we have like, we go through, you know, the Derby Queen. We do um, spot jumps. Uh, they've gotten away from those just because it's a little, 
it's sort of hard for a jump master to kind of put you out to the same standard every time. So that one typically wasn't weighted as much, but, um, you know, a lot of medical tasks you're doing a ranger first responder or T-Tri-C, what we call it, uh, in special operations and, um, grenade throwing. I mean, just you're out on ranges doing stress shoots with every type of weapon system you Copper can imagine. Fire. This, yeah. Yeah. And this past year was amazing. They've got these like really high speed, like back in 2009, when I did it for the first time, it was pretty basic. It was strong rangers going to win, you know, whoever wins the road march, whoever wins night land nav and doesn't make any major mistakes is going to make the cuts. And like you said, like after day one, you've completed, you know, four or five, whatever, 10 events, and depending on how you did in those events and what the weights were, you don't know if you made the final cut. And that's what's so like kind of grueling is, you know, we start with 52 man teams. That's 1% of the, you know, most elite Rangers. And just to give you a statistic, there's only 1% of the military that are Rangers and only 1% of our United States population that are even in the military. Right. So you're literally talking about the best of the best of the best. And that's why it's so frustrating that the competition went to a limit because that's what they were trying to highlight. And if you're no longer able to compete as a previous winner or if you've done it three times, um, it kind of, in my opinion, takes a little bit away from the competition. Well, not only that, but I want to compete against someone like you who has won it, who has been there multiple right. times. You want to win against the best. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, you know, I don't want to just go out there and these are a bunch of guys this year that happen to be less of, you know, less than the former group. You know, like in your case, you went, what, six times? Uh, The fifth time I won it. Yeah. So, yeah, I was on my fifth try. Fifth and then the, the sixth time I went back, we got third. Okay. So, and then the first time I did it, I was on active duty. But that's like what the competition is about. Like, you're, there's only been one team in the history of competition to come out on their first year and actually win it. And that's just an, an enormous feat. And their coach had won it the year before. So that's like the most successful teams is if you can find a coach for one thing, you can actually, of course, dedicate the time needed to training. And, you know, you can be there either at Fort Benning or a similar environment because humidity down there, as we all know, is crazy. And um, it just helps to be on the home turf and get acclimated. So um, the, uh, the first year I did on active duty was just an eye opener. I had no idea about it. I had no I was actually asked to do it during the deployment that we had just got back from two months prior to doing the competition. So we, we were over in Iraq for 15 months and we just came back from like, yeah, was, and it was actually an FSO guy who used to be with Ranger Regiment who asked me, cause I was always working out when we were deploying or when we were at the, uh, at the deployment. And he was like, yeah, you want to do best Ranger? And I'm like, I don't even know what that is, but I'll do it with you. And he's like, how do you know, not know what best Ranger is? I was like, well, I didn't go through a cycle that had, you know, best Ranger going on. I went through the winter class just before um, best Ranger kind of started. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's grueling. I mean, it takes you a few times to even figure out how to train for it because someone can tell you, you know, what the competition is about. You can listen to this podcast. You can read books, um, blogs, articles. I've done a few for Soft Lead and a Havoc Journal, but you don't actually know what it's like until you get, get your boots on the ground and mm -hmm. you actually experience it for yourself and find out what your weaknesses are, what your strengths are. And not only that, your partner. The relationship, I would say, between you and your partner is the biggest or a single point of failure or success in the competition. You guys have to work well together. You can't fight. You can't, you know, get mad at each other because just like anything else in life, one event's going to go wrong. I remember the year Eric and I won it. We were on the Tri-Tower. So this is a day two. We made it past the first day. 
We were in really good position, top three. You never really want to be in first on the, you know, first or second day because then you're the target. You always want to be the guy out hunting, you know, and trying to move up in the in the rankings. I mean, it's not bad to be in first all the time, but right. at the same time, it's, it's nice to – you have more pressure and you tend to make more mistakes. So I think we actually were in first, and uh, he was doing what's called the Tri-Tower Challenge. So you actually climb a 60-foot tower, and you're – it might even be 80 foot, 60 or 80. And it's and different doing, It's different each time too, though, right? Because yeah, sometimes... Yeah, they change up the rules. Right, they right, change right. up the, how you do it. So some years it's a Prusik climb right. or the rock wall. And this year or this past year was awesome because they combined them. So one partner did the Prusik and the other partner did the rock wall climbing. And that was a really cool integration because then you can, again, pick who's stronger at the, the one or the other and kind of uh, suit it towards your strengths. And then right after that, you have knot tying station. So one of the rules is you have, of course, your repelling gloves that you don't necessarily want to climb with because it's really hard to get your fingers in those tiny little um, rock holding rock holds that when you're, when you're going to the climbing wall. So you either stuff them down, you know, your shirt or put them in your pants pocket or something like that. So I'm down there waiting for Eric to climb, cheering him on. And all of a sudden I see this white thing falling straight down in front of me. Oh. And it just like, I mean, we had a killer time going. And the rule is you actually have to climb all the way at the top, go down the stairs on the back of the, uh, the wall and climb it again. And the clock never stops that. So you have to achieve your equipment. So he, it, that was kind of like the penalty, which is huge. The whole event, um, myself and Nick Plokar, we actually set the record back in 2015 or 14, probably 14. And, uh, it was about seven and a half minutes. And the time that he had taken or for both of us to do the rock wall was like five minutes and we still had two towers left. So it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was not a good day. Those little mistakes. I mean, bad things are going to happen. And what I could have gotten mad at him. I could have, right. You know, done that, but I'm like, Hey, let's just move on to the next event. And luckily that year. So the way that they do land nav on day two. So we're still talking about the competition here. Sorry. We're kind of all over the place, but day two is, um, after you do the, what's called day stakes. So those are all the tasks that, you know, NCOs are really good at officers. You know, we don't really do that on a daily basis. So we have to do a lot of train up for it. And traditionally that's where we tend to, you know, kind of lose points to either really good guys from regiment or, you know, just a really strong NCO team that does weapon assembly or does, you know, a lot of medical tasks or, um, I mean, we even did the ACFT this year that was integrated into, the uh, competition with I, which I think is amazing. And I think it's a great change from the normal PT test, but you're doing all these tasks. And after that, um, you pretty much on the whole day, you're sitting in the sun, you're exhausted. Then you move right into night stakes or night. Um, yeah. Nights, not night stakes, uh, night land nav or orienteering. So you start in the day and you usually go all the way until the next morning. Um, sometimes it's 12 hours, sometimes 10 hours, sometimes it's eight. It just depends on when they finish up with, um, the day stakes, what the weather's like, etc. But that year we had a grueling like 12 hours. We had a full 12 hours. And I was like, hey man, the way that it's scored is the points that you find during land nav actually get added to your score. So let's say if there's a land nav point that's really far away, deep in, you know, some some shitty draw where you're sitting there fighting, you know, the draw monster, that's like a 50 point. So, uh, another one that's really close to the finish might only be like five points. So I was like, hey, man, we're just going to have to go out and find more of those big points. And we're just going to go out, have to go out there and 
crush ourselves essentially. And all three, the past three competitions that I've done, I've won um, land now. I have the most wins in land now is three uh, for our team. And I'm, I'm really good at orienteering, really good at land now. The all army sports program actually has an orienteering team. And I was on that over in Austria mm. and that's a completely different animal orienteering versus land navigation are two very separate things. Mm-hmm. And orienteering is huge in Europe. I mean, I got my ass kicked even as good as I am. Those, those guys over there just run four minute miles in the woods, going to these control points, no trails, nothing. But, um, but yeah, being able to do that and moving, putting ourselves in a position to where if we made some mistakes, we can still go back and get those points because, you were saying earlier that the competition usually on day three is pretty almost decided. And I think, you know, 90% of the time the competition is held, it's like that. The two times that I've competed and uh, been second and even, well, not so much third, but the two times that I've competed and gotten second and first. So two seconds and a first, um, the point spread was within 12 points one year and only eight points. And we're talking like our total point scores, like, 1300 like 1300 right and we were only separated so that year it literally came down to the last event and the guys from regiment uh, rtb i'm sorry actually were in the lead and they decided to come back from land nav an hour and a half early to get some sleep eric and i showed up three minutes before the cutoff time like i didn't even know if we could make it back we were going through this draw and we were going through the start and i was like dude if we stop to take a piss, we're not going to, we're going to bust time and get zero points and probably end up like fifth place. Yeah. But that's the chance you take. I didn't want to get second. I wanted to win. So those guys, you know, doing that put us in a position to where we were 80 points behind going into Lanab and we came out um, five points ahead. And then they got us on the Derby Queen because Eric uh, made a little mistake there. And I thought it was over because you only have two events left after that. And historically, um, they don't tell you the weights of the events. It didn't start getting more transparent until, you know, people were like, hey, how are these guys winning when a team won 20 events and this team only won two events? They're like, oh, well, the weight was really high for these and the ones that those guys won were really low. But you never knew that because it was scored behind the scenes. So them, you know, publicizing the weight of each event, showing the scores was a lot, in my opinion, a way to make it more... Um, competitive which in their mind the other way around was if you didn't know your score you would always keep pushing because you never really knew you know what place or how far ahead or behind you were Um, but in that the years that they showed the the scores and the results I mean it was 12 points and eight points I mean we were so close it came down to literally the final buddy run and I remember standing there with the uh, RTB star major and uh, he was trying to side you know, what the weight was going to be because it was kind of like a rolling weight that year. So he, he brought us all over there. And if it was a weight one, I would have had to have had four teams between myself and the other RTB team. Um, and that's hard to do. So all they essentially had to do was just sit on our heels and make sure there weren't any other teams to, to create a point gap. Um, but we were able to, you know, pull it out and you know, he called it a five point. It was a, it was a weight five, which is the highest weight that you can get outside of land nav. So, um, all we had to do is actually finish in front of them. And we were, we were down by three points. So like we only won by two points. It was, but we, well, if they would have come in behind us once, once we were like long gone, like I was literally pushing Eric, I was like, dude, I don't care how tired you are. 
we're never going to get an opportunity like this. Like we're so close. We have like, if you don't know how to dig deep right now, dude, I don't know if we can be friends anymore type situation. <laughs> Cause this is like, this is like the shit. And I, I told him the whole time you we were running, I was pushing him and I was like, don't you effing turn around. Like, he's like, how close are they? I was like, they're right behind us. Those guys are like a half a mile, mile back, but I didn't want, yeah. I didn't want him to let go. Right. Cause in the best ranger comp, you never know. I've done runs. You go around the corner and they've got a weight vest sitting there that you got to pick up that you weren't even thinking about. Now you got to wear a weight vest or you got to carry a kettlebell. So I was like, dude, we could be in the lead now, but something can change later. So I was like, just give everything you got. And, yeah. uh, so once we were gone, another few teams finished in, in between and kind of create a bigger gap. But I mean, like you were saying, like it, it took me five years and a lot of teams, it's taken them three or even, uh, you know, I think the reason they created the rule two years ago is roll feast. I think it was his eighth, seventh or eighth time uh, two years ago when they won it. But um, the rule, I mean, the rule, in my opinion, I mean, last year made it so easy for Rose and Bergman to win. They were the first team to ever win it twice for the same guys. Mm-hmm. And now um, Rose is the only guy who's won it three times. So that was mainly because none of us were allowed to come back and compete. So essentially they were the only experienced guys in the whole field and they just ran away with it. The competition, in my opinion, wasn't even interesting because they were so far ahead that nothing they did, you know, moved them out of first place. So it was kind of like, oh, those guys are going to win. We don't even need to do the other I think about few a, events. Think about a couple of years from now. I mean, it's going to be like what we were just talking about, where there's not going to be that same level of competition, and you're not going to be competing against the guys that have won it multiple times or have competed yeah. multiple times. Because what what are the odds of or of the teams that actually compete? How many of those are multiple? You know, twenty percent. Yeah. So I know all this. <laughs> so trust me. Yeah. I know them by heart. So, I mean, yeah, this is... Only so like 20% are return competitors. Every year, 80% of the field are first-time competitors. There you go. So, I mean, your odds now are going to increase, you know, in your chances because you're not necessarily competing against guys who have come back multiple times. And and even those guys that return multiple times, they're not always the same two guys. Like no. one... Yeah. No. One dude might go and get another partner uh, the next year. So, that means you know, again, your weak link, that new partner has never been through this. Mm-hmm. And it's a big learning experience. And that's the thing too, is it's all, I, I guess we didn't explain this during the beginning, but the competition is, you know, it's a lot for bragging rights. So you're representing your unit. So every major division gets a team and you do try out for those teams to represent that division. So you may have eight teams that want to represent, let's say the 101st, but they've only been allocated two slots. So you can only have four guys. So those guys compete in a mini comp to decide which one of those teams actually gets to train uh, for the competition. And you might have an alternate because, yeah, guys get injured training for this. I mean, it's a lot on your body, um, doing a lot of road marching, doing a lot of running. Um, and it's, you know, sometimes you get sick, sometimes you get injured. And it's just one of those things that um, it's good to have. Uh, a lot of teams but i mean of course ranger regiment and ranger rtb get the most i think they get between six and eight slots the guard um was actually getting right in mind we were getting four because if you look at across the entire active duty they were getting you know 42 slots um or 46 and we were getting the you know only four for the whole guard so uh but that was a big accomplishment when i first started and came to the program in uh 2012 
uh, Sergeant Major Burns was my uh, Sergeant Major in 10th Mountain Division. He was the RTB Sergeant Major, and he came over to the Warrior Training Center, which is where they run Pre-Ranger now, Air Assault and some other um, schools, but it's run by the National Guard. So that's where we do our train-up, and uh, we only had two slots. And over the years, you know, just coming back and developing the program, and that's why I think it's hard to just have a three-year limit because once you hit that third year, you're you're damn near blossomed. You've done a couple competitions. You know how to train for it. If you don't have the same partner, you you know you've you've determined you know hey if there's another partner that's maybe done it with another guy that's in your division, then you guys can partner up. But uh, like you said, yeah, I've had a par- different partner literally every year except for Eric. He's he's the only guy I've done it twice with, and I think actually Plocar. So I've only had two two guys that have I've done it the same with. But we're in the National Guard, so like you're talking about a every year we have tryouts, we got ten dudes, and that's pretty much the the field for the whole guard. Right. So we're actually struggling to find some new guys to come out now because there's just so few guys who are Ranger qualified. And like you're saying, we're talking about 20 percent of the one percent. So I don't know why you know who got a whatever up their ass to, to change this rule. I mean. We're maybe talking like literally the the whole best ranger field's a hundred dudes, and out of you know so we're talking about twenty guys here. Yeah. Is are you really going to make a big stink over twenty guys over you know a military force of like you know five hundred thousand? And was there enough data there to really make that kind of decision? Um, uh, I was strictly just because Rolfies was there, but that's the thing. If you were an, an RI instructor, you've been at RTB for you know eight plus years, and they all go on cycle break. His mentality was like, this is actually me going above and beyond. I'm volunteering to do this. I don't have to do this. And, uh, you know, he, he's an RI. That's his job. He's non-deployable. So, I yep. mean, I'm not really hating on him. I, if I was at that unit and I was, you know, training, and he's a good instructor. He did his job all year. So, like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I kind of see the uh, – the logic somewhat but at the same time i mean the guys who made those decisions have never competed so it's it's a difficult thing to say is there any international um slots yes robert there are so the year i competed we actually had our first guy from italy he was working at um rtb as an ri and oh really interesting yep he competed with a marine this was uh, two years ago. Or no, it might have even been last year. I can't remember if it was last year or two years ago. I had, no, it was last year. Because uh, a lot of times, so once you start getting close to the competition, RTV shuts everything down. They don't let, allow anybody to train. So you can't go on the Derby Queen. You can't go out and get on a lot of the, um, the training areas that are in the competition because you could get a, you know, an advantage. And, um, I mean, RTV not being biased or anything, but they have the biggest advantage because every day those, yeah, those guys are there every day and they're, yeah. their friends are the graders. They, I mean, it's just, it's impossible not to know about the competition. They've won 80%. If you go back and look at the history of the competition mm. of all the races, imagine that. So it's just one of those <laughs> things. And to come in and say that, that we actually beat them on their home turf with their best teams that to me meant more like that's why i collapsed when i got to the finish because i was like it it took so much it was like the weight of the world was lifted off my shoulders like it was just 
yeah. an unbelievable thing. Well, so, you know, to go back to Eric's situation on that tower, when he dropped his glove, how critical that was, because, I mean, when you get to the top, you have to fast rope down. So if you don't, right. if you don't have your glove, well, obviously they made it a rule. You can't fast rope down. Thank God. But nope. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was a huge deal for that day, but I want to also just go back and let's rewind because you came into the military starting out as a calf scout. So, Correct. yeah. So as an enlisted guy. I did back in a uh, 2000 or 1999, actually, I was, uh, I was able to enlist when I was 17. Uh, they had split off training is what it was called at the time. So you would go the junior, your junior year during your summer to basic. And then once you graduated, you go to AIT um, during the, the uh, summer after your, your high school graduation. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was in the 202 Cav uh, Bravo company. So yeah, I went to, back then it was called OSET training. Yep. And, and I don't know, man, it was like those guys, I remember like my, drill sergeants being like pretty hands-on like i don't think maybe the, and maybe it wasn't as hands-on definitely back as back you know before then but i did i was like kind of like i wasn't expecting that so um it was a little bit of a i mean it was awesome to me i thought it was you know it's hard and i felt like i had actually achieved something when i when i graduated and um got to go back to my unit and uh i actually applied for an rtc scholarship um, in high school. So I got that and that's kind of why I had to transition, um, I guess over to the dark side because <laughs> now that I've been through my career, honestly, I feel like there's so many more opportunities as an enlisted guy, especially in special operations. Cause yeah. I, I, I literally spent more try more time training to be a detachment commander than I got time on my team because it's just, uh, it's a short rotation. You only get between two to three years as an officer you have a specialty, you know, halo or, or um, dive, you might get a little bit more time, but then you're moving into a staff position or a support role. It's just, uh, there's no other place for you to go besides company command. And if, you know, you have five attachments and there's only one of those five dudes that's going to be the commander later. So there's got to be something for the other four to do. And there's just not a lot of opportunity outside of working, you know, an embassy or working uh, one of the uh, headquarters. So, yes. But, I mean, yeah. It was, it, was a, it was a good experience being enlisted, I would say that, because I learned a lot more, um, and I think, you know, as a leader and mentor, I was able to, you know, develop my, my NCOs and my soldiers, because I kind of understood a little bit more of their lifestyle. Yeah, so this was 1999, so I guess it was um, much later, like what, 2009, when you first won the military's division of Kona's Ironman World Championship. Now, you were still in the guard at that time frame, or were you on active duty? Uh, no, I was on active duty actually during my block. I guess not. I was only a block leave. I terminal leave. There we go. It was terminal leave. Um, I had obviously accumulated a lot of leave over the years. Most of us do. Yeah, like two or three months. We tried because yeah. If you if you look at your if you look at your uh, leadership and there you're trying to take leave on a non block leave period, they kind of give you this weird right. what you're going to take leave there and not block leave and it's not emergency leave like disapprove. But uh, <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't happen all the time. But um, if you're one of those you know essential mission essential guys or mission critical guys, I mean, it's just hard especially as an officer. I mean, you have a lot of people who depend on you and um, that's where it was good to have a good uh, NCOIC. So you guys could really, you know, balance and cover each other. 
and uh, really kind of break that up. But I mean, it's a, it's a big op tempo. I think a lot of people don't realize, you know, how much time um, we spend in the military, either training or meetings for the meetings um, yeah. and uh, actually going out there and, and conducting training. Like it's, it's a lot. So between the time that you came in, uh, going through the Citadel, you know, becoming an officer, when was it that you actually then went to Ranger School and you went to uh, SFAS and Q? Yeah, so when I went to Fort Fort Polk, Louisiana, I mean, it was it was this is a hilarious story too. So I was a, I was in college, and uh, you know how you get your your OML and you get your your assignment, and I was like Fort Polk, LA, and I was like, dude, I'm going to Los Angeles, I'm getting to California. No, I, that was my and first he's like, assignment. No, bro. no, no. He's like, you're going to Louisiana, and I was like, what? They have bases there, and he's like, he's like, yeah, the worst one in the army. Yeah, I'm like, you're kidding, you. right? He's like, yeah. no. Yes. He's like, I'm not kidding at all. Sleazeville, like Diseaseville. Yeah. The, oh, yeah. Tigerland, the whole. Yeah. I mean, it's a. There's it's, a reason why a, they actually train people for a, the Vietnam War in Port, Fort Polk. Oh, I know. It's the, it's it the slums. It sucks. <laughs> Man, it sucks. It's hot. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's brutal. The heat there, I've just never experienced. The jungle. Like yeah. 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 So that was my first duty assignment. I went to OBC and um, tried my hardest to switch with anybody. I was offering like five thousand dollars cash, and like nobody bit. So I was <laughs> like, "All right, I'm, I'm stuck on Fort Polk." But you know, I look back on my career now, and I actually had the best years of my Army career at Fort Polk. And really? I don't know. Yeah, I had. I think it was. You know how. It doesn't necessarily matter. You know the place, but it's the guys in your unit sure, that sure. you're with. What unit really were you make, in? I was with a uh, fifth battalion, 25th field artillery. So I was actually a signal officer. Okay. So, uh, cause I started cab, but when I went to college, I, I studied computer science. So as soon as they saw that shit on my form, they're like, Oh, this guy's going signal computer network administrator. So I went right to battalion at six. Um, I was working at headquarters at uh, Fort Polk. So we actually, when I got there, it was two OCR or two, uh, um, I'm saying second, OCR second brigade. Because, uh, yeah, it was yeah second. Uh, was it the uh, cavalry regiment? Um, I say OCR now because that's the race I do. Oh, ACR. You're talking yeah, about ACR. Yeah, armored cavalry. Regiment. Oh, armor ca yeah, I don't know why I'm saying that, but uh, <laughs> that's I'm right. like, yeah, well, that's that's my profession <laughs> like, right now. Wait, I'm wait, wait, wait. course racer. So it's second ACR, um, and they were actually moving up to Washington, and I was like, sweet. As I go up to Seattle, that's going to be you know be right around Mount Rainier, and I'm like, nope. All the guys who just came in, you're stop loss because they're creating a fourth brigade, tenth mountain division. And I'm like, hold up, this is getting all kind of crazy now. <laughs> you're creating a mountain division down in Fort Polk. Like, where are the mountains? Yeah, where are the like, mountains? Yeah. They're like, well, it's just temporary until they can build the billets up in Drum for us to transition to. And I'm like, oh yeah, there's still a fourth brigade, tenth mountain in in Polk, like ten years later, right now. So is there I don't really know if that's ever going to happen? Yeah. yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, so that was a brand new unit, brand new activation. One of the first, you know, times it's happened in the army in a while. So it was cool to be a part of the activation ceremony and um, yeah, be a part of Tenth Mountain. For me, honestly, I couldn't ask for a better first uh, unit because there's not many times where you can go right out of college and they're going to give you a unlimited budget to create an an entire computer infrastructure. Like, there's just no company that's going to trust someone right out of college with no experience to do that. But they're like, hey, man, go at it. So I was taking Microsoft classes, setting up servers, 
um, you know, programming like routers and stuff for Cisco's is awesome. Nice. But uh, but that was the problem is once you're that computer network guy and you know all the inner enters, you know, and outs of the network and you have access pretty much and no one else does, you can't really go far from the unit. So I think it was uh, kind of like a curse and a blessing that I was really good at my job, but the unit just didn't want to get rid of me because I, I had all the um, the network kind of squared away. So I guess going back to how I got to ranger school, because, yeah, I'm a signal officer in a, in a freaking field artillery battalion, you know, in Fort Polk. And my both my battalion commander and my battalion XO were Ranger 75th Ranger Regiment uh, scroll guys. Both had mustard stains. They were just like all-stars. And uh, we, of course, on staff, always did staff PT every day. I mean, they, you know how Ranger guys are, oh, especially yeah. for regiment. They were just the old school guys. I mean... Uh, Colonel King and uh, I can't remember the other Colonel off the top of my head for some reason, but um, they would just run us into the ground every freaking day. And I was the only one who could hang with them. So once they got slots, you know, um, because it was a infantry, light infantry brigade, they got a bunch of slots to Ranger School. They sent me up to drum for light fighter infantry school, and it was with the Lurse guys. Oh, Dude, nice. those guys, those guys fucked us up. Oh, really? Like, <laughs> really bad yeah like that pre-ranger was way harder than ranger school like if i was like literally in the back of my hind like if ranger school is like this i want nothing to do like it was just it was bad i mean they just rocked us i think only four of us actually got recommended to even go out of like a class of like 15 but um see so yeah, we came back from light fighter infantry school and they got me scheduled for a class and I, yeah, I went to ranger school and it was funny. Like I knew nothing before I went there. Like I, I didn't know the ranger creed. I didn't have a ranger hair book. I had a high and tight. Like I was screwed. Like I, like nobody set me up for this. Like, because even when we went to pre-ranger, they didn't make us shave our heads. I was going to say, and why, why didn't they put you through some of the same things? That's what, what I'm saying. They <laughs> just crushed us physically. All they wanted to do was like destroy us. We did some op order stuff. Yeah. But they didn't tell us about, you know, like the Creed. We didn't do the Ranger Creed once during Pre-Ranger. So it was just, it just blew my mind when I got there. So it was a steep learning curve for me. I was actually in the parking lot. So thank God somebody brought this like electric, like shaver. And I had an inverter in my uh, Suzu Trooper. And I went there and shaved my head, like literally minutes before I went to like in process. Oh my God. Yeah. And I was just, I don't even know how I got through. But I mean, I do. It's like, once you get there, it's just all about, like I was saying at Polk. The team of guys on staff that I was there with just made that unit and that experience so much better because they were just hard workers. They were supportive. Nobody was trying to backstab. I feel like now in the special ops, man, it's so competitive. Right. Um, guys are really trying to put themselves in fronters at the ex- in front of others at the expense of their relationships. And I'm like, dude, we're all on the same team, same fight. But some guys don't think like that. They're like, no, I want to advance my career. I want to get ahead. I need that next job, that next position. And and to an extent, I can see that because you don't want to go on deployment and have, you know, the shitty mission or to, to be out there pulling security while those guys are out there kicking indoors. But, um, you know, it is cutthroat out there. So I think just having some of those experiences versus the ones I had back in Polk, uh, you know, looking back, I'm like, man, those, those guys are actually pretty legit. And we had, you know, really good deployment to Iraq. We did, we were in a maneuver role, even though we were field artillery. So we were out there convoying every day and doing, you know, a lot of stuff that we weren't trained to do but you know that's the thing in the military you adapt and overcome and you know we we didn't lose anybody which is a huge thing um 
we had a you know a lot of attacks and a lot of stuff happened, but uh, I I mean I'm grateful for the experience. So what year was this that you went through uh, Ranger School then? Two thousand six. Okay. So yeah, I had been at Polk for two years. Um, I was a first lieutenant, and of course I went through the the class with all the regiment uh, guys, um, the spec fours, and all the guys going. So I was like. Yeah, it was it was it was hard, man. Like, but I I was able to you know work with those guys because I think you know I was enlisted, so I kind of understood you know basic and IT and just what they went through. But you know, again, they don't see that. You know, once they learn, I mean, of course, you don't have rank, but everybody knows who the officers and enlisted yeah. guys are because they just went through sock or not Soxie, I forgot what it is. What they rasp, rasp something yeah. like that. Yeah, um, right before they arrived so it was a pretty you know well they go to really, a pre-ranger as well um so yep. rasp to get in then they go through a, a pretty grueling pre-ranger much better than yours because they actually oh, yeah. prepare them for well, it's a pipeline that's too. right it is. you almost you almost go immediately so you're in shape like i had a i had yeah. a break like for a month where i actually had to maintain everything and uh but i mean ranger school is is it's a different animal i mean every every statistic is right around the same no matter what rules they implement you know it's about a 50 percent pass rate and maybe like 20 percent first time but you know everyone's like oh you know the integration of females but nothing's really changed i mean the standards are the same i was there when they were letting females go through and the thing that i think i found i mean i was going through best ranger training um, there weren't any females going through yet in 2006 but the thing that i saw they were having the most trouble with was actually the cwst so when they went out and did, um, they were having a hard time on the rope first, being able to hang for the allotted time and drop. But, um, yeah, they got over that and everything was good. But, I, I mean, I thought Ranger School was you know, a pretty good experience for me. I mean, I went during winter phase. It's funny, like, every school that I've ever done, the Army has been during winter, and we've had snow. Like, we were up in Deglonaga and just on this, like, death march, and we got, you know, snowing. It went from sleet rain to sleet to snow. And that was back when they had those old, like, uh, canvas. 2006. Is that where we had the really bad, uh, here in Georgia, we had the really bad? Yes. Okay. Yes. It was massive, like, just a massive. I mean, we just got, like, three or four inches. Man. And You got it bad. And, and we had, well, it, it really, two guys Two guys got frostbite. And just, like, they, they put them out. They, like, they lost their toe. Like, real frostbite. Like, not, like, a little bit. Because we had the black leather boots that you shined back then. Then we had to put the over boots on that were like, none of that shit worked. Yeah. They didn't have like this nice Gore-Tex technology now. And we went to these canvas like tents and we were so happy. Like, oh, it's, it's finally like we get to like get in a tent and warm up. They had these kerosene heaters in there. Mm. And literally, I kid you not, we walked up. The weight from all the snow collapsed the whole damn tent, knocked the kerosene thing over. Everything catches on fire for like, a couple seconds and then it's like out because you're one opportunity to get warm yeah. <laughs> and we're just looking at like shit man could this get any worse <laughs> so like they're like pack your shit up we're just gonna keep walking because literally if we would have stopped like like we were out there we weren't even close to like delonaga so like it was it was bad like that was that was you guys didn't stand around the uh, the gp medium and just kind of lift your hands up and just kind of try to get warm off the oh, heat coming radiating was, that thing was on fire for about 10 seconds and then it was done as soon as the kerosene <laughs> burned up it was because nice. it was already saturated like but yeah that was a that was an interesting ranger and then we went down to florida and yeah we had a pretty good that was actually my favorite time when we got to do that final assault um 
flying with the helicopters. Although all the sand that gets in the, the uh, 249, that thing fired like five rounds. And it's just like the helicopter just blasts you, even with the dust covers on. There's so much oil on that thing. Like, yeah. it was like, chink, just like, man, it sucks. But, you know, every experience is about the same. Yeah. Yeah. So when did you end up going to Q then? Did you end up going to SFAS? In 2012. So, yeah, this was my big conundrum. Was I was on active duty, um, this whole Fort Polk thing, man. So they, they, you know, back then you're you're supposed to do these three year tours and just go to your next PCS. Um, but because this was a new unit in the transition, we we got pulled in with the three years. Right around the three year term is when they pulled us for deployment. We got on the um, patch chart. All the battalion commanders and star majors were allowed to PCS. So we got brand new leadership, but mar- most of the primary staff and all the soldiers were stop lost. So that was my, because as an officer on active duty, you only get a very small window to go into SF. You have to be first lieutenant promotable. Um, you have to have, you know, be in a certain year group and, you know, of course, pass selection. But if you're outside of that, you need a two-star general letter of recommendation. Hmm. And even then, it's not guaranteed that you're going to get in. So because of our deployment, um, I actually had a deal after six months where I was supposed to go to selection during my block leave. And if I passed it, I would be able to stay back and not have to come back to deployment and continue to SF. Wait, so you're on deployment preparing to yeah. go to SFAS. You during go to block leave. And then you go to SFAS during your block leave on your dime, your time. And if you made it through that, the deal was that, well, I mean, if you make it through a selection, you're, you're, you're pretty much you're supposed to get pulled from the unit. Right. Like that's a done deal. Like yeah. you're, that's, that's the part of the army. There's supposed to be a hierarchy. Well, our full board colonel at the time when I was employed, he's like, you're again, you're mission critical. The infrastructure is too important. I, I'd set up like a Whatever. high capacity line of sight, like all this stuff. So they didn't let me go. And uh, I was there. There was a, there was a group of 12 of us. Um, two guys got to go before the deployment. They they actually did six months and got through the queue. The other 10 of us were just kind of screwed. So we got back. I tried to put my packet in again. Boom. I got denied because I was out of year group. So I talked to the recruiter. I'm like, dude, what can I do? I want to go SF. This has been like my dream. Like, you know, it's just, he's like, well, the only opportunity is if you go in the National Guard because they don't have a year group stipulation. He's like, you could take a $10,000 bonus, go to this aviation unit in Colorado, work a year on ADOS, and then you can go to selection. I was like, hell yeah, that sounds pretty legit, actually. Like, <laughs> like sign me up. Like, that's good. This. Yeah. So that's actually what I did. I went to work on a, it's called a Sea Smurf mission. So it's like, uh, Chemical, biological, radio, radio, uh, nuclear, nuclear reaction force. Yeah. Okay. And the the aviation asset was the um, second of the 135th aviation here at the Colorado National Guard at Buckley Air Force Base. And guess who's right across the street? Saad K. So Special Special Operation Attachment Korea, and also Bravo Company 19th Group and 19th Group. Um, uh, the HHC headquarters is here. Yeah, so 19th so, Group is part of the Army National Guard. 19th and 20th yep. uh, is the special forces for the Army National Guard. Yep. So they were they were right around the corner, and we, you know, after a year at the Aviation Battalion, which was a really cool job. I mean, I got to go around and you know do all the crypto for the the um, the air, aircraft communications, and then we actually did a lot of exercises with uh, civilian law enforcement agencies that I didn't get to do on active duty. So. Mm-hmm. It was kind of fun to like learn their communication systems and to be able to talk between the two and, you know, just kind of work with law enforcement and other, um, you know, guys who don't 
who aren't in the army that are on the civilian side and just as kind of inter interagency kind of mingling there. And that was, that was a good experience. And then I um, put in my request for SFAS, got my physical done and yeah, I went to selection, uh, 2000, I think it was about the end of 2011. Um, again, like during the winter and then the way it used to be, man, I wish you can go, I could go through the pipeline now. It's only like eight months or something like they've yeah, condensed it down. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, when I went through as an officer, you actually had to go to the, the full maneuver captain's career course at Benning in six months. Oh, so that was just for, just before you even got to go to the Q course. So I went through that. Um, and, uh, it was pretty cool cause we actually had an SF, um, a primary instructor. And he pulled all the guys who were going to the Q course into one um, class. So we actually, he was teaching us some more um, SF, you know, detachment planning versus conventional stuff to get us ready for the 18 alpha course. And uh, so that was, that was pretty awesome. So after those six months, so I actually had a break between SFAS and maneuvers captain's career course, because that's how the guard is. You have to get specific funding allocated. You can't just go like, you know, in the, on active duty and everything's kind of streamlined for you. So I had like a four or five month break, went to um, the uh, Maduro Captain's Career Course and had another four or five month break. And it was, it was kind of convenient because every time I had those four or five month breaks was right around Best Ranger. Like literally it was oh. just time like that. I was going to ask you, so how is this uh, fitting in yeah. with, yeah, with all it, those competitions? It was literally just luck. Like I was like, well, I don't have anything else to do for four months. I'm yeah, guard bumming. Yeah, let me just I go. can't do a civilian job because I know that I'm going to be gone for two years at the Q course. So they're like, you want to go to BRC again? I'm like, yeah, sign me up. Let's do this. That's so it was crazy. literally, yeah, it was just, I was guard bumming. And I mean, that's what people call it. You can go. And that's what's so awesome about the guard, in my opinion, especially about being SF, is, you know, in a normal ODA, you know, 10th group, 5th group, whatever, you can't really like, hey, 10th group deploying can we get a guy from fifth group ODA to come over with us? That's like, that's a hard thing to do mm -hmm. unless he's a specialized guy and you got some connections and the guard, that's how we deploy. They're like, Hey, 20 groups going, who wants you want in from 19th, whatever ODA you just, yeah, you just go over and you're on, you know, their orders. You can either do an interstate transfer or they'll just put you on temporary um, active duty for operational support or whatever title, uh, depending on your duties um, that you're going to be doing for that deployment. Huh. And uh, the, they'll cut you and you can just go deploy with another with another unit. So you've got all these other kind of opportunities that you necessarily wouldn't have. And you can be as active and do, you know, as much guard bumming as you want. Or you can kind of take a step back now that I have because I was guard bumming for a good four years. Like that's all I was doing is I was full time active duty all year for four years, just, you know, doing different guard positions. And then. Uh, going back to like you're saying, um, winning the Kona Ironman World Championships, they have an all army sports program under MWR um, that's separate from the world class army athlete program, WCAP. It used to be they used to use all army sports to draw athletes to go to WCAP, but now what they do is take athletes, um, Kenyans, whatever, Ethiopians, um, guys from Olympic teams, send them through basic training and then put them back on WCAP as water treatment specialist I or whatever. I did not know that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, it's that's exactly how they do it. I've been at the Olympic Training Center. I've tried to get on the WCAP program. Um, it's it's very political over there, I'll just say that. And I don't want to say anything negative about the military, but that, hey, I, I have first-hand knowledge. I experienced it with my own eyes, and those are my own opinions. So, And that's uh, that's, how, that's how it goes. So wow. it's one of those things. But, 
so the All Army Sports Program, getting back to Colonel Collins, um, he managed the um, orienteering team and, you know, like some of the other endurance sports because, you know, he was the best ranger competitor. I think he had won it on his third or fourth time as well. He competed quite a lot. And, um, you know, he just knew me from the competition. He's like, hey, we're, you know, do you want to do these all army sports? And I was like, yeah. So I did the marathon team one year, um, army 10 miler triathlon. I did for a number of years. And then, and the way you do these sports is you just apply through the all army sports and you're only gone for like one week out of the entire year to compete against the other, um, either, you know, army Marines, air force, coast guard, the other, um, uh, services at a military championships. And then out of those, you actually go, to a worldwide military is called the SISM World Games. And this is actually a really awesome like opportunity. A lot of people in the military don't even know about it because they don't advertise it that well. And a lot of the commands won't allow their soldiers to go because they think it's like boxing or like some of the other sports that take athletes or wrestling for like months at a time. But most of the sports, you know, it's just a weekend or a couple weeks. And you actually go out and as an SF officer, this was an awesome experience with me because that's what we do we interact with you know foreign militaries like that's our primary you know at least for joint um j sets or like fit missions um you know you're going out there doing a lot of stuff with those guys so it was, it was awesome to be able to get into that program and one of the sports happened to be the cone iron man so during my uh my block leave at fort polk louisiana i spent three months training for the uh, cone iron man and it was funny in 2000, I think it was 2008, I actually tried to go um, for the Army. I was still at Polk, but there's just nothing to do there, man. I used to ride my bike from Leesville all the way to Alexandria because they had just paved Highway 28. It was perfect. And it's a 50-mile one-way trip, so I do 100 miles. That's like how boring it was there. But I was an awesome biker. Like I was just crushing it. And that was my goal. I wanted to do the Kona Ironman. That was my only goal. Swimming sucked. I have no background. Like. I found out the hard way that if you try to become a better swimmer and you're just not naturally aerodynamic, you can spend so much time in the water, but you're not going to, you're going to see very little returns. Your cardio is going to get great. I mean, I even have really good swim form, but I just sink like a rock. Like my body just isn't made out to be a swimmer. Most of the top elite and the Kona Ironman come out at 55 to 58 minutes. I came out in like an hour 14, but that's the thing. I was like, I'm just going to have to bike really fast because you're on the bike for five hours and run even faster. I'm just going to have to train in the other two disciplines a lot harder. But they actually do have a really nice 50-meter outdoor, and they put a bubble on it for you know how cold it gets in Louisiana But during the wintertime. So you actually have a really nice fit right there by the hospital training for the Kona Ironman in 2008. I actually went over there because um, I applied for the All-Army Sports Program. They said I wasn't fast enough. I had done a 9-10 um, – our 410 half Ironman. And they're like, yeah, that, like we just don't know if you're going to be able to make the team. And I was like, so I looked up the guy from last year. He, he ran a 10, I think it was like a 1045 or 1014 Ironman. And my very first Ironman I did in quarter lane was a 936. And I was just like, how is this not fast enough? So I, I actually paid my own dime, went to the Kona Ironman, not representing the army, and I beat the guy representing the army that year by 30 minutes. And then the next year I was like, well, I guess, you know, 
I should be able to go and compete for the army, right? <laughs> and by the way, you owe me five thousand dollars for last year for the paper. Oh, that was like yeah, half of it. A ten thousand dollar bike and then yeah, five thousand dollar registration and all the, the, the bells and whistles to get to Kona. But um but yeah, so the guard actually sent me um the next year and that's when so they supported me. I was I was able to represent the it's funny. There's actually this article. I don't know if it's on uh, GX magazine or Lava magazine, but it's um, it's called "Of His Own Accord" because that was the story. Like there was, like there, it was a big thing in the Ironman that I went over there on my own to prove that I was good enough to go back because I want to represent the military. Like that's my biggest thing. Like I want to. I'm proud to be in the army. I'm proud to be, you know, a Green Beret. I'm proud to be a Ranger, and I, you know, I want to perform to my fullest potential. So that's. I mean, I'm just resilient. So that's why I went out and I, I won it for the military division um, in 2010 uh, or 2009. And then 2010, I went back and we won the team division. So there's a combined time male and female. So two years in a row, we finished top of the podium. And then getting back to politics, unfortunately, the Kona Ironman decided, even though it was started by Navy SEALs and has a military background, um, to forego the military slots or yeah they had because those four slots could add a whole nother qualifying event where they can make all the money from that event so spartan or not spartan uh, iron man actually sold their franchise to um japan or china so once that once that transition happened um the company got sold off yeah we no longer and i think they may have brought brought back like a world military category recently but it's um it's not specific for the u.s armed forces like it used to be where they would you know they would reserve a slot because that was the most awesome thing about winning in 2009 is i didn't have to qualify for 2010 so i've actually done four three or four konas but i've only done three ironmans outside of kona to uh so i didn't have to because i didn't have to qualify that year so it was it was a lot of fun so all right so did you do anything between then like say 2010 and 2015 uh that was when i went to the q course okay so that's what it was all right so yeah so then we, we go on the grid <laughs> so you go to the q course meanwhile you're still doing a uh, best ranger competition and everything in and out um i'm taking it because you, you had multiple years here and yep. in 2015 you qualified and won the Spartan World Championship in Tahoe on your fourth race. But I thought what was most interesting that I found out is that people were wearing T-shirts that said, who the fuck is Robert Killian? So That was classic. So who, who put those together? That's awesome, man. So there's this company out there called Obstacle Racing Media, and this dude it's this guy from Atlanta, uh, Matt Davis, and he's he's got his own podcast. Um, I've been on it a couple times. But, uh, yeah, he's just he's just one of those guys who – has those, you know, funny type memes. And yeah, so he actually put it for sale on his website. I had, it's funny, out of the guys who bought it were only the guys that I was stationed with at Fort Polk. They actually bought it from the website. <laughs> so people who actually knew you, yeah. Yeah, it was funny. <laughs> but they were wearing it at the uh, at the event, you know, afterwards. Because yeah, like literally nobody, I remember my first Spartan race when they, were nas- they had it on a national TV. I, I didn't know what the hell to do. So I was wearing my, triathlon like one piece that the national guard had put together for me yeah so i got like big ass ranger tab in the back and i got my national guard emblem it's got killian written right here usa team usa on the back 
and uh they um they're like you know on the walkie talkie guy in blue you know triathlon suits in first place like what's his name like who is this guy because <laughs> i guess they were doing a live broadcast and they had no idea who i was and so literally as i came out of the swim i was in first place and they're like what's your name like who are you no they're stopping like, you what? i was like i'm trying to race bro like these guys are right behind me i don't have time for this shit like just let me go that's those guys wearing the t-shirts over there <laughs> yeah so it was uh yeah it was kind of it was over my head though because um looking back i mean i had no social media i've never, I've never been on facebook or instagram or any of that because you know as an operator you yeah. just Upset, they you didn't do it. A pound it. Yeah, they don't yeah. want you on there. So I was never, I, I I didn't know like any any whatever. Now that I know, I've taken classes and whatever, and kind of gotten a lot better at it. I would say, but it's like anything else. You just study. It's a process. It's mm -hmm. a, you just study it. And once you figure out the process, once you figure out how it works, you you know you just you become skilled at one more thing. Fast forwarding, then after that, what was it? Um, you that's when you won best ranger competition was in 2016. So a year after you qualified and won the Spartan World Championship, you then go and win best ranger. Yeah, that was that was an intense thing because I was actually on ADOS working at Watkins at the uh, 19th Special Forces Group headquarters. Um, Active Guard Reserve as, yeah, status, like a full time status. Uh, so it's so they have two time. They have the Title Ten, Title Thirty Two. Yep, yep. And you can do ADOS, which is just Active Duty for Operational Support. So they're like short term orders, but they can they can be for up to two years. Um, but it's not AGR. AGR, you're like locked into a full time position, and you can pretty much stay there. But you're you still earning Active Duty points. Yes, and your status. This is, a, right. this is just like Active Duty. You, yeah. I mean, there's nothing different. ADOS is like you still get BAH, you get paid, you get retirement time, like all that good stuff. So I actually have 14 years active federal, even though I've only been on five years of active duty because mm -hmm. I've done a lot of uh, different things. And like the whole time I was at the Q course, I was on active duty. So I was actually on ADOS all the way up until September 30th. Um, and I was on a different set of orders under the all army sports program. They put you on title 10 for those three days for the comp because i was actually representing the u.s army at the spartan race world championships because they had a team championship so it was myself leon collins um another best ranger winner turk and one female so we all combined to uh make a team i didn't even think i was going to win i was just there to represent the army and then i just had a really good day like i was i was in pretty good shape you know working on ados but my daughter was three weeks old. I wasn't sleeping at all. Like it was, it was like, that was our second kid. So it was pretty like high stress level at the house. Yeah. And I, I don't know how, like, I, I mean, I brought the whole family with me to Tahoe, like they were there and I just went out and I think that was why maybe I won. Cause that was probably the most relaxing thing that I had done in a while. Just being <laughs> out there myself, on a mountain, like destroying my body. But yeah, it was intense. They had two Olympian guys that were in front of me, but it was so cold that morning. And traditionally, of course, I went to every winter class there is. So I have I have a really, in my opinion, strong background in winter sports. I did the winter biathlon for the guard. Uh, we can you know talk about that if, if needed. But uh, I think just winter sports and doing things in the cold in general, like suit to my strong suits. Like I just really good blood flow in my extremities. I don't get cold very easily. And uh, those two guys who were, you know, in the Olympics fell off the second obstacle. It was like a set of monkey bars, but they were frozen solid. So they were like really like slippery and like, oh, wow. 
and just hard to like grasp. And I, I made it to the end. I look back and I'm like, I'm in first place already. I'm like, what the heck? And then we get up and the, the previous world champion failed the Hercules. So you got to lift this massive um, bag up on a pulley. You got to pull it up and then you got to lower it down. And uh, his dexterity in his hands, because they were frozen, he couldn't even like grasp the, the rope. And I was just like throwing it up. So then all of a sudden now I got a two and a half minute lead and we're not even halfway through the race. And I'm just like, this is blowing my mind. So he catches up with me again. I'm like, oh, all right, I'm not going to win. It's fine. I didn't. And then he missed the spear throw and I nailed it. And I was like, holy shit. All I got to do is run downhill for like two miles. And I got this thing wrapped up. <laughs> and it was like, uh, it was, it was just insane. It was one of those things again, where like the owner of Spartan, Joe DeSeno was up there and he was like, He's like, who is this guy? And everyone's like, who is this guy? And they're like, oh, he's an army ranger. And I'm like, oh, okay. That explains everything. And you're right. like, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I don't know. But, at, but in all honesty, I mean, this carrier buddy. So, like, you know, a lot of the stuff that I was doing was very similar to Best Ranger. And then to get back to that, this is the big controversy now, right? So I've won the 2015 Spartan Race World Champs. And all of a sudden, they've got a Spartan Race in the – best ranger competition in 2016 yes. four months after i had won best rangers so everybody's like oh this is set up like they just want killian to win and i'm just like i have no say in this show is uh star major frank grippy blame him because he's the vp of spartan and he you know, has hired command star major and he's got pulls so he's the one who wanted I, to have i actually have got out there late that morning you guys i think you were just about ready to wrap up or something and when i got out there i forget what the price was to get inside you know the actual it was 20 bucks it was and it was i walked crazy. up there and yeah. i heard that me and my buddy we looked at one another and, just to walk to the gate yeah. and we we're like why would we want to do that when i can walk right along the airfield oh. area there and watch you guys do it all any damn way yeah you know yeah that's Spartan race, man. It's like, uh, so I actually get, you know, my family gets in free, but yeah, you got to pay to spectate. It's crazy. Yeah. The business. So. so now you're a major, right? And Correct. you're still in the national guard and special forces, but you're doing about 30 races a year. Yeah. It's, it's, oof, man, it's demanding. So I'm about, yeah, almost two a month, uh, a lot of international events, um, so I have to do a lot of uh, what we call sudas. So you go back and do like split training where you do drill on a, another weekend or during the week. So I can make up the tasks that I might miss or, you know, a lot of this stuff now because I'm the S4, I can do a lot of this stuff on, I mean, it's all computer, right? Most, I feel like most staff, most of the army now, Yeah. Um, it really started when I came in, you know, 2004, 2005 was, when you know blackberries were popular and outlook and exchange email we we got away from that face-to-face -face, like communication in my opinion and it's all you know pretty much done behind a computer screen now we're mm -hmm. sitting in our office doing a lot of a lot of meetings a lot of stuff online all the online uh programs are you know now every you know especially like fedlog and everything just it's all online yeah so i mean even you know I can honestly do most of the work from home but i still fly out uh, out there to 223rd rti so it's um you know, houses, basic training for MPs, uh, transportation drivers, and the uh, warrant officer candidate school. So, um, you know, just a small military base, and we just support the, uh, the S4 stuff. And then, um, you know, that's the thing about the Guard, though. You have to go where you can get some professional development. And there's so many, or there's so few slots to, to 
be able to move into a major position. Sometimes you got to go out of state. I actually still live in Colorado and fly out there. So after my drill paycheck, I maybe make like 200 bucks. I was going to say, they're not paying for that. No. Yeah. So, so, okay. Through all of this and you're still, I mean, you've done tough mutter. Like you said, you did, you know, you're a biathlete. You, you did all of these major competitions. What, What's next? I mean, has somebody come knocking on the door and gone, hey, Robert, <sighs> you, like you've done, this is all small change compared to all yes. these other, what is it? I don't know. I think that's, that is honestly, I've written a few articles and that's how I live my life is, you know, what's the next hardest thing I can do? You know, I went to the Citadel, I, you know, I, I went into the military, I was like, all right, I need to go to ranger school, I need to be a Green Beret, uh, I need to go on a deployment, I need to, you know, win, do some of the Kona Ironman, like uh, I think... Wind Best Ranger, I think, was the hardest thing that I've done. Um, two-time world champion. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it's quite a crazy thing. But that's that's honestly what drew me to Spartan Race. But there's there's a very there's you know a, a, a high process that you can or a, a lengthy process um, of different races. I think that's what makes Spartan Race so popular. As you can start with a you know a very small sprint, would be way up to a super. It's more like you know eight miles all the way up to a beast is half marathon. Then you got your full ultra, that's uh, two laps of the beast around thirty miles. Um, after that, you got with hurricane heats, and they're actually inspired by military, so they're like uh, abbreviated like you know first two hours of selection. Literally, is like a hurricane heat where you're just getting smashed or you're, or if you're a Navy SEAL, you're out there making sugar cookies and the sand, like whatever, you know, selection <laughs> or school you've gone through, that's, they get military cadre. So you do these, there's a four hour hurricane heat, 12 hour hurricane heat. And a lot of them are just team building after the first couple hours, after they figure out who wants to quit and leave. And then um, you can do a 24 hour and then they've got what's called a gogi, which is a 72 hour where they bring in a lot of like prior, prior SEALs or like SF guys or military cadre from other, um, uh, foreign you know military uh, forces and they go through the same thing survival skills they they're usually in destination the one i did was in uh of course pittsfield vermont freezing cold again negative 13 i've got this yeah, history no big deal. just like yeah. <laughs> it was insane like my eyelashes were freezing they could only be, let us uh be outside with exposed skin for 10 minutes because that was with the little freeze chart like was telling them so we had to go from 32 degrees in this barn barefoot on a hardwood floor that's like, that was our punishment because, you know, we, we couldn't be in the negative 13. So they had to put us in the 32 where it was just, a, just right at the cusp of freezing. <laughs> you had to walk around barefoot, yeah. um, through th you know, and then you go, so you get your, you know, your ogogi done and then you have, you know, like online courses you can take to become a certified trainer to coach Spartan and you can do, it's called Spartan X, like a leadership type thing. But yeah, there's, I've done all that. I'm the only pro. So once you complete all nine of those things, it's called the Spartan Perfect Delta because you have three tasks on each side. Yeah, I've got one here. So they make these little like plates like this, mm -hmm. and they all they all magnetize to make like a, a delta. And uh, I really don't know what's next. Like honestly, um, I just did this awesome Disney cruise with my family, and I feel like that was the next best thing. Like take a damn train, <laughs> dude. Like chill out, just you know. Uh, I can't Enjoy imagine you were doing it. You you were probably the guy at four o'clock in the morning that was running the. I was of the running circles. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, that was a massive ship. Three laps was a mile. I mean, that's it's four laps around a normal track. I mean, I was doing three, yeah. so I mean, that tells you how big the ship is. It was insane. Have you ever heard of um, Cumbrian Patrol, Robert? No. So it's um, 
it's a UK military competition. It, it's probably similar to Best Ranger, but it's section okay. based. So it's a team of eight. And you can um, be US military, you don't have to be. It's fully international. Nice. Uh, uh, send me a link. I'm so there's your the next competition. Together. Yeah. Yeah. What about the other thing, though? What's the one that um, your Marines, the Royal Marines, do each year as well? So there's um, there's the fan dance um, competition, which is one of the SAS um, selection routes. Um, and there's a, there's a couple of civilian companies that run um, fan dance weekends. So there was one last weekend and the weekend before run by um, Avalanche Endurance Events, Ken Jones. So um, What's the one the Royal Marines put on, though, on an annual basis? They do the 30-miler uh, down on Dartmoor. So the, the final test for earning your green berries, uh, the 30-mile um, uh, endurance yomp. Uh, so that's um, that's a, a bit of an event that um, companies, uh, civilian companies, put on, um, and they do that in a couple of different locations now around the UK. Um, Man, so, we're gonna we're gonna have to come up with some things for Robert. Obviously, we don't uh, want him to get bored. Well, I do have you know? <laughs> I do have a couple on the list. You know, I haven't done Baton Death March yet. Okay. And that, no, I think, my- Yeah. In the winter. Well, yeah. Yes, no, exactly. <laughs> you you should do Norseman. Norseman. Okay. Yeah, I'll so this, this um, a long distance triathlon, of, um, an Ironman length triathlon in Norway, comes nice. off the back of um, comes off the back of uh, a boat in the middle of one of the uh, the fords, um, uh-huh. and then the cycle is literally around the island, frozen roads, and then the marathon is up a mountain, and it That's finishes awesome. on. The- yeah, yeah it sounds like my cup of tea right there. Like honestly, exactly. if you you you're a lover of the cold. They they reckon Norseman is um, the toughest nice. full distance uh, triathlon out there. So, well, that that'll be on the bucket list then. And I I did dabble in adventure racing a little bit. I think that was kind of the next uh, step. I did a Primal Quest up in Vancouver, um, up in uh, British Columbia and uh, Whistler around that area and that was a three-day event i actually went out with the uh, california national guard and we put a team together um so they have what's called the california warrior program under the external affairs department and they have you know competitive sports team under those so they do biathlon uh competitive shooting so they do a lot of like three gun go out to the all army out of benning and do uh those competitions sniper competitions stuff like that but um they just brought on if you're at an eco challenge it's supposed to be the hardest adventure race in the world and it's going to be on amazon prime they've already filmed it in fiji and uh, one of the guys who does ocr finished uh or put a team together and they finished pretty well i don't know the exact result because it has an air jet but um i'm assuming they did pretty good and uh yeah i don't know if that's on the bucket list that's a three i think it's a three person or four person team and then you got to have some crew to help you, you know, move all your equipment around during the transition areas. But right. I know the one we did up, uh, the three-day event was very similar to BRC. You're just, you got a mountain bike, a kayak, um, hiking are your primary tasks that you're doing, you know, around different, uh, and they just give you, you know, a start point, a finish point, a map, and just tell you to get there. Sometimes you're canoeing, sometimes you're hiking, sometimes you're doing a bit of both, um, not a lot of mountain biking. And, uh, yeah, that was that was actually pretty fun. Man, I enjoyed it. You're my hero, man. I, I'm telling you, this is like. <laughs> so, so people are going to be listening to this. They're going to say, "Okay, man, I I never knew anything about Robert." You know, again, I should buy go uh, go buy the T-shirt. So, if that's the case, um, 
how can people find you? I know on social media, at least on Instagram, it's Robert underscore Killian. Are, are there sites on Facebook or other locations? Um, yeah, I've got an athlete page on Facebook. I just haven't been as involved because, I mean, I guess Instagram's kind of the new easier way to kind of market just faster, a little bit better uh, platform to do like blogs and stuff. But I do still put stuff on my athlete page. I used to have a website too. I probably haven't updated it in two years where I used to write blogs um about the races i did right after them so there's actually a pretty good one on a gogi about that um i actually wore a lot of my military gear for that because i actually carried one of the molly rucks because it was like i mean why not like it's actually pretty decent here yeah. so yeah i um uh, had a lot of they got a good a lot of good pictures of me doing some stuff there repelling and trying to build a fire um but yeah it's a lot of survival stuff and um I think those are the best kind of ways. I don't, I don't really keep up my my website as much, but uh, yeah, a few articles online. I mean, a Google search is good. Um, yeah, I'm hopefully, I don't know how much longer I'm going to do this. I mean, yeah, I guess you say the next best or what's the next thing. I'm like, man, I, I really want to get back on uh, active duty to work AGR, ADOS. Um, I think that is the next best thing to mentor, to give back. Um, I was actually a right. coach last year, even though I, so I couldn't be a part of the best Ranger. I, they, I unfortunately they didn't, published that rule until I'd already got my orders approved. So I was already there and I was like, well, I, I can coach because they were going to cut my orders and maybe they're like, well, you can't compete. What do you want to do? And I was like, well, I want to coach. I want to help the guys out. Let me pass on the knowledge. You know what I mean? Like share yeah. my experience. I think that's part of being successful is, you know, you need to give back. You need to mentor. There's a lot of guys who maybe want to do the same things that I did, who don't maybe want to fail as many times as I did. Just want to, you know, get the cheat code. Yep, and uh, I can, the you know, I can definitely, yeah, yeah, I can definitely be a mentor, and I think that's that is the next thing, just finding out ways to make a living, you know, mentoring or try to go back onto active duty. Um, I think I think I'm a little bit out of group, or I don't know if I'd be able to go CAG with with all the without deleting all my personal stuff, but that's, I mean, that could be a thing if that's literally the only way I could get back on active duty i mean and i can go you know do the long walk and be successful um i feel like you know i have a lot of potential to give to the army especially you know just with the training and the uh the military i'm actually trying to work with recruiting right now they just i don't know if you guys have heard they started a army fitness team and uh recruiting up in fort benning or no fort uh, fort knox oh i do and know i uh, saw somebody on it a Chandler female. smith yeah well yeah there's a there's a there's a um, strong woman yep. competition. She does like strong woman. There's another strong man. And then there's a specialist who does strong man. So I think there's about five people on the team. And I've been trying to get them to pull me onto that because I think OCR is a really good um, recruiting pool for special ops. I mean, there's a lot of competitions. There's like about 70 Spartan events a year, just Spartan specific. There's a lot of other OCRs, but you know, you have between five and 8,000 competitors each weekend. I, I myself have, had four people who either them or their parents have reached out to me and say, Hey, my son just joined the guard or they've hit or the active duty and they've hit me up for questions before going, or I get, I don't even, I, I feel bad. Cause I, I don't even know how many like um, people have written me about like going to the Q course or going to ranger school. And I've, I'm only able to really respond to about 20% of them because you know, it comes down to a, a time thing. Like time is literally the most important thing you have and that, and where you spend and where you give your time is like, I've started to realize like that's so much more critical now. Like I, as you get older, yeah, 
send them to just, send them to our pod uh, our podcast. So, I will. Yeah, because I, I mean we've we've covered every one of those things. As a matter of fact, um, I'm going to be going down to talk to 75th Ranger Regiment here in probably be about three to five weeks. But we have had mm-hmm. um, the uh, special operations um, recruiting team on the show. We've gone through nice. everything from special forces to civil affairs to psyops. Yep. Um, we have former Rangers that are on the show. We've covered that multiple times. So I, I think it's a I think people can listen to those things, but they're still looking, like you said, they're yeah, looking for those personal experience. Yeah, well, that and they're looking for the cliff notes. Oh, there's got to be something more to this. Yeah. There's got to be, you know, yeah. it, it's like, dude, just get in good physical shape and yeah. understand it's a very strenuous um, mental game that you've got to have resilience over. And then not only that, but you may not make it all the way through Ranger uh, school the huh. first time. So understand, you know, right then, are you going to want to come back? Is it something that you're going to never quit? Like, that's the one thing we try to tell everybody is if there's one lesson or one thing we can tell you, just don't quit. If you don't quit, they'll let you you keep going. Yes, that is a true. So I'm going to tell you, uh, one of the guys who he's on the modern pentathlon, um, he got pulled over into the army. Uh, He's uh, on the Olympic team. He's an Olympian. And uh, he was hellbent on, he was enlisted E5, but, you know, went through, you know, basic IT, went to WCAP, did some um, time, and then he went to OCS at uh, Benning, went to, you know, all the infantry stuff, and then he went to Ranger School, and he bailed out, uh, Olympic athlete from Honor Pentathlon. Um, went back home, decided he wanted to try to go back again. He didn't get, you know, never to return. So I went back. Failed bending another two or three times. Failed mountains. Like, literally, I looked at the first... Between the first time he went and the last time, he spent nine months. Wow. Nine months. Yeah. Going through ranger school. That's no joke. And he never gave up. And I know that's that's one of the longest I've ever heard of, to be honest. Like, yeah. I know a lot of guys who've done 180 days or, I don't know, six months. But nine months, like, dedicating your time away from your wife. And, yeah, now he's at 82nd Airborne. He's uh He's out there and... But I mean, that's that's the thing that I again going back to the WCAP program. You know, a lot of those guys don't get the experience they need to be successful in the Army the way they're running the program. They they should have. Um, it used to be kind of like um, SF. You you had to be you know a specialist with some time in the military. They didn't have the X, 18 X-ray program back in the day, right. where you literally weren't in a military unit. And I think it's you know it's a good and bad thing because I had some E6s that were thought they were sergeant major level and they'd never even been in a conventional unit. I'm like, dude, you guys are like spec fours pretty much. Like you have, you've been given this E5 or E6 because you went through the Q course, but that's like eight months. Like you don't have any experience. Like it's a, it's a hard thing. I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't know. And not, not all the guys are like that, but I I don't know. Um, I, I just experienced it with a few, a few people. Like they just weren't at the level that they should have or used to be at when you had to, have a little bit more time um, doing conventional or, or military experience before you went into a particular you know specialty field for special ops. Yeah. Well, we look forward to following you on your Instagram account for sure. And um, some of the other things that you mentioned, I'll make sure that I put some of those things within the show notes so that people can follow you on your adventures and find, find out what that next big thing's going to be now that you've accomplished. It seems like everything else so far. So um, we'll, we'll watch you on your journey, and we can't wait to have you back on the show so that you can tell us about some of the newest adventures that you've gone on as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, thank you guys so much for having me. No, I really appreciate it. Yeah, you guys have a great evening. Take care.